Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are worshiping with us today. And we have people here in person as well as tons of people online as well. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad they're joining us today. And I am glad you guys are here because today is going to be a special day. I believe God is going to do something great in our midst today, and I can't wait to see what that looks like. But speaking of special days, my kids, they got to experience or got to witness, I guess, their first wedding ceremony ever this past week. Now, we actually didn't get to go to the wedding because it was out of state, but we got to watch it on Facebook Live, and that was awesome because we didn't have to get the kids dressed up or anything like that. We just watch it from our living room, and it was great. And so they had a lot of questions because, again, they're seven and three, and they never been to a wedding ceremony before, and so they were asking, you know, what was going on and whatever, and at one point, when it came time for the couple to uh, say their vows to one another, the preacher is explaining the vows and what the couple has to do, and the preacher said, okay, now if you would say your vows to one another, and Alex, my first grader, goes, well, that's easy. I can say my vows, A-E-I-O-U. And Alice and I cracked up because he honestly thought he knew what was going on, and he very much did not. I mean, you get it, vowels, vowels. I mean, you can understand the mix-up, right? It makes sense. But I love being a dad, and moments like that remind me why I love being a dad. Because my kids, they bring so much joy to my life. Now, they can be a handful of times. I'm not going to deny that. But they bring so much joy, so much excitement to my life. And I love looking at the world through their eyes, because they give me a completely different perspective sometimes. Something else I love about being a dad is how my kids have taught me about my Heavenly Father. I mean, honestly, I've learned a whole lot about my Heavenly Father by simply being a dad myself. When Allison was pregnant with Alex, our firstborn, there was a guy who sent me an email, a guy I respect a lot, minister of a large church, and he found out that we were pregnant, and he sent me an email to encourage me. You know, some people don't encourage you when they find out you're pregnant. I don't think they mean for this to happen, but they're like, oh, you're never going to sleep again, or your life is going to radically change as if it's the worst thing ever to have kids. And my son is seven years old, and we have not slept in seven years, but I wouldn't trade him for the world, you know. I love being a dad, but this guy who sent me an email was very encouraging, and I just want to share with you a line of what he wrote in this email. He said, I am excited for you. Parenting will change your marriage relationship and your relationship with God in a great way. You'll be blown away by the amount of sacrificial love you have for your son or daughter. And you know what? He was right. I've learned a whole lot about my Heavenly Father from my kids. Because it doesn't matter what time of night it is, doesn't matter how tired or exhausted or worn out I am. When I hear my kids cry out in the middle of the night, I go to them. doesn't matter if they're having a bad dream or if they're sick or maybe they're just talking in their sleep. I go to them because I never want my kids to think that they're alone. I never want them to feel afraid. I rearrange my schedule at times. In order to be at ball games or ball practices or dance recitals or dance practices, I rearrange my schedule so I can be home at dinner time so that I can be around the table with my wife and my kids because I want my kids to know they matter to me. I want to be part of their lives. I want them to know I love them and I care about them and I am fully invested in them. When they hurt, I hurt. 
When they're happy, I'm happy. When they make messes, yeah, I want them to learn from their messes so they don't do it again. But when they make messes that they can't clean up, guess what? I help them clean their messes up. Because no loving parent wants to see his kids forever stuck in a mess. And honestly, the same is true about our Heavenly Father. Like I said, I've learned a lot about my Father in Heaven from my kids. Because we have a Father who feels the same way about us. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 21. It says, He, speaking of God, our Heavenly Father, will wipe every tear from their eyes, our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We have a heavenly father. I think it's important for us to remember we have a heavenly father who loves us, who doesn't want to see us hurting, who doesn't want to see us in pain, who doesn't want to see us feel alone or feel broken. He cares for us. We matter to him. And he didn't create this mess that we've caused on earth. He didn't cause it. It's not his fault, but he hates to see us in it. And that's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because he wanted to rescue us. He wanted to save us from our brokenness, save us from the mess that we had created and caused. And that's why we've been saying over and over again in this series, there is no life, no situation, no circumstance our God can't redeem. Through the blood of Jesus, God can redeem any circumstance. For as the book of Isaiah says, he is the God who gives beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. You feel sad right now? You feel like your life is just a bunch of ashes, it's rubble, it's debris. You feel heavy right now? You feel some heaviness right now? Our God can redeem whatever situation you're in. If you feel like your life is scattered and shattered into a thousand different pieces, our God sees you right now. He notices you. He's paying attention to you. And he doesn't want to see you hurt. He doesn't want to see you in pain. He knows exactly what it's going to take, take to heal you. He knows exactly what it's going to take to redeem your situation. He wants for you to live a better life than what this world has offered to you. But the key is you've got to be willing to own your brokenness. You've got to be willing to own your mess and give it over to him. And that's hard for us to do at times because we don't always like to admit when we've done wrong. We're kind of like the kids in this video that I found the other day. Take a look at this. Whose idea was this? Did you think this was a good idea? Look at brother's face. Who got the paint out? Brother did? We're going to have to get you guys cleaned up. Yeah. And my face. My hair. Yeah. Your face and hair. I'm And downstairs, you guys got made a big mess downstairs. Who's going to clean that up? Yeah, the big mess. Brother? Are you going to clean it up? Who's going to clean it up? He is? Why? Looks like you were playing in it too. Were you playing in the paint too? You were? We don't always like to admit when we're wrong, do we? But the first step to healing is admitting that we are a broken people living in a broken world. 
We've made a mess of this life that God has given us. And the Bible uses a word to refer to this mess that we've created. It's the word sin. Now, this is a word that a lot of people don't like to use and makes some people in our culture, especially today, feel uncomfortable. But I think we need to understand this word to know exactly the situation we're in, to understand the situation we're in. This word sin comes from a Greek word that means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. that Basically, it means instead of aiming at the right target, we've aimed at the wrong target. We've taken our sights off what really matters. Haven't we all done that? I mean, God has this perfect plan for our lives. He has a purpose for us to live out, and it's right in front of us. All we have to do is follow His ways, but instead, we've taken our eyes off what God wants. We've aimed our sights at something else, thinking that some other target, some other goal can give us what only God can offer us, will make us happy or satisfied or content. But all we've ended up doing by aiming at the wrong target is wrecking our lives. In fact, the Bible teaches that when we allow for sin to creep into our lives, it's going to eventually ruin us. It's going to eventually tear our lives apart. It's going to wreck us. And the reason why God gives us instructions and teachings in His Word isn't to be a killjoy. It isn't to hold us back and keep us from having fun. He's a loving Father who just doesn't want to see His kids get hurt, who doesn't want to see His kids in pain, who wants to protect us and give us the best possible life that He can. My son Alex, he loves these things, airheads, and he can eat his weight in these if we'll let him, but we don't let him because we know that they will make him sick. And the other day we got a whole bag full of these and he wanted a couple of them. And I said, you can have two. It was after dinner time. I was like, you can have two, but that's it. No more. He said, okay, daddy. Well, I didn't really pay attention if he, how many he was eating. And a few minutes later, maybe about a half an hour or so later, I can't remember the exact time frame. He's on the couch and he says that his tummy is hurting. And so I walked up to him. I said, how many of those airheads did you eat? He said, I don't remember. And I went over and I looked in the trash can. There were like 10, 15 wrappers, you know, in the trash can. He had had a whole bunch of these and it made him sick. Now, why did I say, only two because I'm a mean dad that doesn't want my kid to have fun no I said only two because I knew he would eat way too many and it would make him sick and when God gives us instructions and rules and commands and scripture he's not trying to be mean he's not trying to hold us back in fact what he's really trying to do is give us the best possible life because he loves us and he cares about us but we're a lot like my son Alex We disobey Him. We do what we want to do. We think we know best. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Romans, it says, for all have sinned. And when it says all, it means all of us, every one of us, you and me, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all in a mess. We've all missed the mark. And we've all missed out on the big dreams that God has for us. But the Bible teaches, I have to stay there. We don't have to stay stuck in our mess. And that's what the story of Nehemiah from the Old Testament is all about. If you've been with us over the past several weeks, we've been looking at this guy in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah's day, God's people, they were in a mess. 
They had rebelled against God. They had taken their eyes off him. They had set their sights on the wrong target. And because of that, they were morally broken. They were emotionally broken. They were spiritually broken. They were physically broken. Their city, the city of Jerusalem, had been nothing but rubble and debris for over 140 years. Because they had rebelled against God and did what was right in their own eyes, God allowed for a foreign army to come in and sack their city. And the walls of the city were left just heaps of rubble. In fact, when Nehemiah comes to tour the city for the first time, because he wasn't from Jerusalem, but when he came and toured the city for the first time, he said, my donkey couldn't even get through the rubble. That's how bad things were. That's his description, the walls of Jerusalem. And they were in this disgraced state because they tried to do life their own way instead of God's way. And they had just kind of settled for the fact that this is how things were going to be. Because like I said, for over 140 years, their city had been destroyed. Their nation had been very, very weak. And they just kind of assumed this is how it's always going to be. But Nehemiah came to them and let them know, no, you have a heavenly father who loves you. And he doesn't want to see you in this mess. He doesn't want to see you broken. He doesn't want to see you hurting. He has bigger plans for you. And you may have been missing out on his plans for all these years, but it doesn't have to stay that way. See, I love what Jesus says about our Heavenly Father in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, if your children, he's speaking to us, those of us who have kids, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, and aren't we all sinful? Don't we all mess up? We're not perfect parents, are we? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? In other words, we have a heavenly Father who loves us, and He's going to give us what we need when we turn to Him. And Nehemiah knows this, and so he rallies the people. He says, listen, our city may be broken right now, but if we turn to our Heavenly Father, He's going to give us what we need, and that's exactly what happens. They end up going to work to rebuild the walls of the city, and within 52 days, they were able to rebuild these walls that had been nothing but rubble for 141 years. And Nehemiah says the only reason why this was able to happen is because of the gracious hand of God. Our Heavenly Father was with us. He helped clean up our mess, a mess that only He could clean up. And so you know what they do next after the wall is rebuilt? They celebrate. Why wouldn't they? But here's the thing. They don't celebrate the wall. They celebrate their God because they realize that they wouldn't have this wall if it wasn't for Him. In fact, they pray to Him and listen to what they say in Nehemiah chapter 9. says, you, God, have acted faithfully while we have practiced evil. In other words, you've been good to us while we haven't been good to you. You've been faithful while we have rebelled. You have still had a plan for us even when we weren't following your plan. You still love us even when we haven't been loving you. And again, I've learned a lot about my Heavenly Father from my kids. When my kids mess up, when Alex and Addie disobey me and do wrong, oh, I can get frustrated, but I don't love them any less. They're still mine, and I want to teach them to do better, but I don't stop loving them because they're mine. And that's what Nehemiah is letting the people know. God hasn't stopped loving us. In fact, he hasn't stopped having a plan for us. He's got a bigger purpose for us. And this wall that he's helped us rebuild, it isn't just for Jerusalem to look good. No, he wants to use this. And even though we're sinful people, 
who have rebelled against him, he wants to use us now to do even greater work. And so what they do is they dedicate this new wall to God. They don't dedicate this new wall to themselves or to their leaders or to a past king. They don't put a plaque on the wall and say, this is Nehemiah's wall because Nehemiah is the one who led us during this time. They don't dedicate the wall to the king of Persia or anybody else. They dedicate the wall to God because they know who the wall belonged to and they knew that God had given them this wall for a purpose. And I think this teaches us something. See, for something, for something to become and remain strong, it has to be dedicated to God. Guys, if you want your marriage to be strong, dedicate it to God. Do it His way. Follow His instructions for marriage. Put Him at the center of your marriage. You want your family to be strong? Dedicate your family to God. Put Him at the center of your household. Make sure that He is your priority as a family. You want your business to be strong? Dedicate it to God. There's nothing wrong with being successful in business, even making money, but maybe God will use that in order to further his kingdom. Dedicate your business to him. You want your endeavors and your goals and your aspirations to succeed, to be strong, dedicate them to God. You want your life to be strong, dedicate it to God. Dedicate everything to him because it's all his anyway. And that's what the people do. They dedicate this wall to their God. And Nehemiah leads them to do just that by starting this huge worship service, basically. This is what Nehemiah does. He divides the people up into basically two groups, and he puts the leaders of the city and the priest and, uh, and the heads of the households, he puts them on top of the wall. So they get to walk on the top of the wall. That's pretty cool. And then he also puts some choirs and some people who play instruments up there because they're going to have a worship service. And he divides them up into two groups, and he says one group is going to go one way and the other group is going to go the other way. They're going to walk the wall, basically, and they're going to lead the city in this time of worship to their God because they're dedicating the wall to him. And this is really cool. Look at what Nehemiah writes. He said, I had the leaders of Judah go up on the top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on the top of the wall on, to the right toward the dung gate. You guys remember the dung gate? You know, that's the sewage gate, you know. So one was to go towards the dung gate. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them. I love that. Nehemiah's like, that group's going to the dung gate. I'm going the opposite direction. Okay, that's good leadership right there. Okay, I followed them. I followed the other group on, on the top of the wall. Together with half of the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. See where Nehemiah goes? You got the smell of bread on one side and the smell of dung on the other. Which one are you going to? You know, he goes to where the ovens are, all right? He goes that way. And then they were to meet up at the temple. And in this moment, they go around and they walk the wall celebrating what God has done. And can you imagine being one of those heads of the families who are marching around the top of the wall, who had lived in Jerusalem for all these years and had seen Jerusalem be nothing but rubble and debris their entire lives, and now they see this fortified, strong wall. Can you imagine as they walked the walls, they said, hey, that's the spot where my family worked. That's where little Johnny hit his thumb with the hammer. That's where my, my kids pitched in and helped. Can you imagine being Nehemiah? Nehemiah had just gotten there a few months prior to this. And when he got there, remember he said that the wall was in such a bad shape 
such rubble that his donkey couldn't even get through donkeys. I mean, they can manage pretty tough terrain, maneuver through it. That's what Nehemiah saw when he got there, and now we have this fortified, strong wall. I'm sure the people, I'm sure Nehemiah, the entire way through, just kept thinking, the gracious hand of God, the gracious hand of God, the gracious hand of God. There's no way this could have been done without him. And so you know what Nehemiah does? Nehemiah wants to create a memory that they won't forget. He says, strike up the band. He tells them, I want you to hit those cymbals loud, blow those trumpets loud, Turn up the amplifiers on the, on the harps, you know, come on. We're going to have a worship service like none other. He says, sing with all of your might. And he wants them to remember this day because Nehemiah knows life isn't always going to be easy. There are going to be tough times ahead. And whenever life gets hard, it's important for us to look back on God's gracious hand and how his hand has worked in our lives. And I think this is true for us as well. When life gets hard, look back at the ways God's hand has worked in your life. I don't have to go back too many brain cells to see God's hand at work in my life. Everything good that I have in life, from my wife to my kids to my ministry, everything good I have in life is because of the gracious hand of God and sometimes when we're in the midst of a mess we're facing stress and anxiety and problems and issues sin it's easy for us to just focus on the problem in front of us and we get overwhelmed by it and in those moments it's important for us to look back on how God's gracious hand has been with us because when we look back, we will remember that God hasn't brought us this far to forget us now. God had allowed for this wall to be rebuilt for a reason. And that's why the Bible tells us that those who seek God, he gives us this promise. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. For those who seek him, God says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. As bad as things may look in the moment, as much rubble and debris may be in your life right now, with all the mistakes that you've made in the past, as bad as it may look, you turn to me, I'll be there for you. And we've seen God's gracious hand at work in this place, here at First Church. Over the past few years, I mean, the three years that I've been here, which is the only thing that I can speak to, I've seen God do phenomenal things in this place. And even over the past year during this pandemic, we've talked about that. I mean, I remember, and I've said this before, I remember making that video of announcing I was out of town for a funeral, and I had to make this video that we put online to say, hey, we're going totally online for services, and it's going to be okay because God's going to get us through this. And when I stopped making that video and I had stopped recording on my computer, I remember thinking, God, help us because I don't know how to do church just online. We've never done this before. There is no playbook for how to get through this. And yet God was with us and he blessed us during this pandemic. And even over the past, even over the past 52 days, since the start of the year, God has been working in this place and we've seen him work in this place as we've had new opportunities to serve, as we've seen lives change, as we've heard stories of healing. I mean, we've done multiple dollar drives that have been huge that have helped out people in need. We have seen God continue to work in this place and I thought maybe I would share some of those stories with you guys. 
And so if you would take a look at this video real fast. You know, Chad asked the question, are you willing to realign your dreams with God's plans? And one of the things that stood out to me was in Matt's sermon where he said, if we listen to what God wants us to do, he'll show us how to do it. And as a freshman in college, that helped me because I had been scared about what God has been wanting me to do with my life. What God has been able to give me is an opportunity. And the opportunity that he has given me comes from health complications with my parents. After hearing uh, Pastor Chad start the Nehemiah story, though, it really made a difference in our lives. God helped me realize that I want to give gift cards to people who are homeless. I got a call from PRC asking if I would consider being a mentor for young men about to become fathers. The young man and I um, developed a relationship through Zoom. Chad had said, you know, we have 52 days and Aaron and I both got our calendars out and we're like counting the days because we were, you know, already at a point where we were believing for so many big things and we knew at that moment, God spoke to us and said, these 52 days are gonna be amazing. In chapter eight of Nehemiah, stuck out to me that they forgot about God's word. Just completely forgot. It wasn't passed down, it wasn't talked about, it was just forgotten. From that, I have been able to spend more time with them, been able to talk with them, pray with them. I've been able to talk about heaven. I've been able to talk about things that I really have never talked to my parents about before. The opportunity to spend time with my brothers and my sister. They all live out of town and they have been coming to visit. And so I've been able to get closer to them also. After hearing that, I felt that was God's way of telling me that everything was going to be okay and that I just needed to trust Him. And the real story comes three weeks ago is the celebration. Their child was born. I know that they're going to be good parents. I know he's going to be the best father he can possibly be. I'm going to commit to teaching my kids and helping them understand that God's word is always there. God is there for you. God is very forgiving. Our family has loved taking a moment to light a candle for prayer before our meal. It's even led us to uh, singing some worship songs at the, at the breakfast table. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This simple act of lighting a candle has elevated what sometimes feels like a routine prayer into a special and important moment with God. So we are actually launching another really big business and we had given you know, estimates to our bank last year and by the time we got to the point this year where we were ready to close on our land and start launching this business, Construction costs had jumped almost 36%, crying out to God saying, you know, what's plan B? You know, you've called us to do this, but we're only 
we're just two human beings, like we can't do this without you. We just got word Friday afternoon that the bank has approved the increase in our loan and we are able to launch our business. I feel like my prayer had been answered. We've seen lives changed. We've seen people experience God in a way like they never have before. We've seen people accept Jesus for the first time, be baptized into him. And these past 52 days when our world is kind of chaotic and a mess, God is taking broken pieces and putting them back together again. And so that's what he did in, the Nehemiah, in Nehemiah's day. And because of that, they celebrated Verse 43 in Nehemiah chapter 12 says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away, beyond the walls. Can you imagine being part of a worship service like this? When's the last time you've been part of a worship service that was so loud it shook the place? The sound was heard far beyond the place where the worship was actually taking place. You see, that's what happens when you're fully committed to God, when you're fully devoted to Him, and you're not allowing for things to distract you. But let's face it, we're easily distracted, and that even happened in Nehemiah's day. See, Nehemiah, he ends up going back to Susa, to the capital city of the Persian Empire, because he promised the king he'd come back. He was the king's cupbearer. So he went back, and while he was gone for a few years, you know what happens? The people slip back into their old way of life. Nehemiah gets back, and they're mimicking the pagan cultures around them. And when Nehemiah comes back on the scene, he's got to set them straight again. He's got to put them aiming at the right target again. And this is what Nehemiah says. He says, Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his own service. I had to cleanse them of everything that they were practicing. I had to put them back to work, the work that God had given them. And we may look at that situation and say, how disappointing. After the wall's been rebuilt, they still, re they still relapse. You know, they, they go back to their old way of life. But I'm not going to be one to point the finger. Because I know how many times I've messed up. I know how many times I've relapsed. I know how many times I've disobeyed God. You probably have this in your garage or around your house somewhere. WD-40, it's a common household item. And it works, it's good stuff. But do any of you know what WD-40 stands for? Google's great, it really is. It stands for water displacement, that's the WD. But then the 40 is interesting. Because when they were trying to invent WD-40, they failed 39 times before they got it right. And on the 40th time, they got it right, so they left that number in the name. Now, imagine if you had to walk around with the amount of times that you failed on, your, on a T-shirt or on your arm or forehead or wherever, and everybody knew it. I would hate to see what my number would be, <laughs> you know, 900 billion or something like that. I don't know, give or take a few. I don't know how big it would be. And I tried to think about that the other day, and I thought, you know, really, there's not a number. I would just be instead of WD, it's CB, and this is the sign for infinity because I've just messed up over and over and over again, and I still mess up. Hey, I've been, I've been covered by the blood of Christ, and he's changing me, and he is transforming my life, but I still mess up. I don't even want to try to count how many times that I have rebelled against him and done what I shouldn't have done and aimed at the wrong target. And yet, I'm covered by the grace of Jesus. And yet, 
God still loves me, and yet he still uses me. And that's the thing, even though the people in Nehemiah's day, they rebelled, even after the wall was built, God still used them for his purposes. He still loved them, still had a purpose for them. And because we are sinful people, that's why I think we need to occasionally recommit ourselves to God. We need to refresh our commitment to him regularly, examine ourselves to make sure that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why here at First Church we developed what's called the discipleship triangle. Because if you want to get back to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it takes Three key things, pursuing Jesus on a personal level, one-on-one, you personally suing, pursuing Jesus, having this intimate relationship with him, wanting to worship him, wanting to study his word, not just on Sundays, but every single day of the week, having an active prayer life, but it also takes growing together in community, being part of the church family, growing together so that you can have people who hold you accountable and push you along and challenge you, encourage you along the way, but it also takes unleashing love. This is the service side of what is called, what we're called to do. See, we're supposed to be a people who are the light of the world. And so we're supposed to be unleashing God's love on the people around us. And last week, I asked you to pray about this triangle. Because I believe every now and then we need to bump up against this and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so what I asked you to do last week, what we're asking you to do, is to recommit yourself today to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what we expect of every single person who's part of our church here at First Church because we believe a healthy spiritual life is a balanced spiritual life, a balance of these key things. And so last week we gave you a card. You could fill it out online if you wanted to. If you're watching online, you can still fill it out if you want to. You can still fill it out here online. You also could have taken a paper card as well. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a time here of response We're going to have a worship song, and I hope that our worship in this moment is as loud as it was back in Jerusalem when the sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. I hope we have have an impressive time of worship here today for the sake of our God. Lift it up to Him. But during this time, we're also going to have a time of response. And if you have filled out one of these cards, if you brought it with you, even if you didn't, we've got extras If you go to the communion station where you got communion earlier, and we're not going to dismiss you by road just any time during the song, if you want to go, you can go drop off this car. Like I said, if you don't have one, just go pick it up, and you can fill it out real fast. There'll be pins there, and you just sign your name to it. And all it says is, I commit with the rest of the First Church family to pursue Jesus, grow together, and unleash love. We're not asking you to place membership in our church. We're not asking anything like that. We're just asking for you to commit to those three things that are on the screen just a second ago. If you're willing to bump up against this today and say, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing this, then when you go to the table and you either drop off this card, fill it out, or tell them you filled it out online, that's fine too. What you're going to get is you're going to get a magnet that has our triangle on it, our discipleship triangle on it. And you can put that on your fridge or somewhere in your house. It can be a daily reminder of what God is calling you to do. But you're also going to get something else. You're going to get a light bulb. If you notice down in our lobby, we have this big sign, you might even call it a wall, that has a bunch of sockets in it, and those sockets spell out the name Jesus. Because we believe we're here to shine Jesus' light to the world. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And so today, if you turn in one of these cards, either online or, uh, or one of these hard copies, 
You'll get a magnet and a light bulb, and when we're done with the service, you can go out and you can screw in your light bulb. And it's not one per family. We want one for everybody who does it. So you can each get your own light bulb and go screw it in. And next week we'll have it all set up. It's unfinished right now, that Jesus sign. But next week we'll have it all set up. You'll see the name Jesus shining bright for those of us who are committing to follow him, recommitting our lives to him. Now, if you're online right now, you can also do this. If you fill out one of those forms online, we will mail you one of these magnets, and we will also screw in a light bulb for you, okay? And we'll even mark it with a little sticker or something so we can distinguish our online bulbs from those in person. So you can look, and we'll put up a picture next week, and you can see one of your bulbs up there. But we want everybody to participate in this. So when we have this time of worship here, go ahead and sing along. But at your own convenience, leave your seat, go to your communion station, Turn in one of these cards, do it online, and you can get your magnet and your bulb. When the service is done, go screw it in as a family. And let this be a powerful day where we say, God, we are recommitting ourselves to you. And I pray that through this moment, we will be like the people in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 12, when it says, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. No matter where you are right now, we have a Father who loves us who wants to redeem our situation. We have a Father who loves us, who wants to rescue us from the mess that we've created. And remember early on, I looked at that Romans chapter 3 verse and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I didn't read the last part. The last part says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, we've all been part of the mess. We've all contributed to the mess that is sin, but God did not want to leave us in our mess. He's not finished with us. Your life may be scattered and shattered into a thousand pieces right now, but God isn't finished with you. He loves you. You matter to him. He has a purpose for your life, and he has big plans for you. Today, let's celebrate the fact that we are loved by our God. Let's celebrate the fact that He can rebuild us. Let's celebrate the fact that He is still working in our midst. Let's celebrate the fact that He is greater than any problem or situation we may face. Let's celebrate the God who turns rubble into walls. Let's celebrate the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ today. So as we have this song of invitation, this song of response, I pray that you recommit yourself to our great God and let his gracious hand be upon you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this time that we've had to remember you and celebrate you. And Father, I just pray that in this moment that we're getting ready to have, that everyone listening would recommit themselves to you Father, there's somebody in the room who's never committed themselves to you. Maybe they need to be baptized today. After the service is done, I and other staff members are going to be down front. Father, I pray that those people who need to commit themselves to you for the first time will come and talk to us so they can start their journey of pursuing Jesus. But Father, for those who have already accepted Jesus, I pray that every one of us, myself included, we recommit ourselves to following you to the basics today. It's in the name of Jesus that I lift up this prayer. God, move in this moment.